different for the campfire chats. Uh, to get more content out, I'm going to start doing some shorter podcasts that are just me. One of the things I want to do is book reviews. So I do book reviews for don'tforgetatowel.com. That is all fictional books, a lot of Star Wars and things like that. But I also read a lot of nonfiction. Last year, I read 32 books. Uh, About 10 of those were nonfiction. And in 2021, I've already completed one nonfiction book. That was Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Harper Press. And that was released in 2015. Uh, So this book was a history book written by a historian about humans, uh, about humanity, about the sapiens, the homo sapiens. Uh, It mentions, you know, some of the stuff with homo neanderthalus and some of those other ones in the beginning. Uh, And as much as it was a history book, it's a philosophy book as well. Uh, The book really focuses on what made humans different, what made sapiens different. It looks into our shared myth culture and how we were able to advance and how other species of sapiens, or sorry, of the homo group, weren't able to stick around. Why aren't there Neanderthals still? Why aren't there uh, Denisodans still? Where, you know, with dogs, we still have a whole bunch of different species of dogs, but we just have Homo sapiens. And it really explores that there was something different about the way we think. We have these shared myths and we can make up culture. Uh, As I go through this review, I'm going to cover some of the quotes that I really liked and how they relate. But, you know, right off the bat, I just want to talk about, like, he is talking about starting around you know, 10,000 years ago, humans really started being different. We started to form cultures, and it actually started way before that. And one of the first things he talks about is the legend of Pugat, uh, the car company out of France. And he talks about how it's not real. We've all agreed that LLCs are real, and that's why it can exist. One of his quotes uh, in it is, Yet none of these things exist outside the stories that people invent to tell one another. There are no gods in the universe, no nations, no money, no human rights, no laws, and no justice outside the common imagination of human beings. And it made me really think, you know, a lot is imagined order with Americans, with humanity as a whole. Uh, You know, we have this imagined order to the world we believe in money though there's nothing really there like when it comes down to it the laws of physics are the only thing that's real being a fan of assassin's creed this made me think right to the assassin philosophy of nothing is true everything is permitted and when it comes down to it you know most of the things in our day in day out aren't true why do we think we have to work 40 hours a week? Well, because that's the myth we tell ourselves in America, even though it ends up being more. Why do we think we can't raise the minimum wage if money's not really real? Well, because we've told ourselves the myth of capitalism. And I'm recording this when all the stuff with GameStop just recently happened. You know, they inflated the price through a Reddit post due to, uh, you know, some things that happened Uh, with hedge funds trying to short the stock and things like that. So it 
you know, made me think of a story that is in this book that I think really relates to, you know, something that's going on with money today. So I just want to give you an oversight of that story. And he's talking about uh, the French in this story. And it is very, very, uh, you know, relatable. So he's talking about this thing called the Mississippi Company, which was formed in 1717 in France. And it was a group that was selling land in the Mississippi Valley. Land that probably wasn't actually worth that much. Um, But they artificially inflated the price. And as they inflated the price, uh, it just kept going up in the stock. You know, initially shares were 500 uh, livre a piece. Uh, Then by August of 1719, they were 2,000... 750 livre and by august 30th they were uh, 4100 livre and by september 4th they reached 5000 livre at the cap of the price the threshold of the was 10000 livre uh everyone was buying this stock and a few days later uh people started to realize this stock really wasn't worth it uh that it wasn't in GameStop's <laughs> situation worth $500 a share and there started to be mass sell off Now, unlike other areas, the person who owned the Mississippi company was also in the government and was able to start printing money and buying up these shares, which ended up bankrupting France in the long run. And this event is partially what directly led to the French Revolution, Uh, you know, buying into this fake order and allowing this fake order to control itself hurt France. And the story just seems so cognizant cognizant today between the 2008 crash, the fact the stock market seems out of control today. It just made me think of that and how this is imagined order that people created. Now, these aren't the only things he talks about. You know, it, it in a way is a philosophy book, as I said, too. Uh, And, you know, he has some very interesting other topics, but I wanted to start with that financial topic because it just seems so relatable to what's going on with GameStop and the market today. Um, You know, another thing he talks about is, you know, how humans are trying to deny our genetics. Uh, You know, we try to think we're better than our DNA. Uh, And, you know, he doesn't exactly say that, but, you know, our DNA was developed to live a certain way. And that was that we were living out as hunter-gatherers. And as we developed agriculture, we started living differently. But we still want to, uh, you know, live that way that we were supposed to, not in these high-rises. And it's interesting because he said there's a genetic thing that, you know, when you found sugar, if you found that apple that was sweet, you ate it because you didn't know what it going to come again and you know he kind of relates this to binge eating sugar that you know there's still a genetic level where when we find that sweet that ben and jerry's that bottle of coke we want to eat it because we don't know when it's going to come up again which i thought was a very interesting way of looking at uh you know the things going on today with overeating you know it's a as much as it's an issue there it's a genetic thing and you know he talks about how we think we controlled agriculture, but wheat really controlled us, you know. Wheat also wanted to spread, and it found a way to spread by making humans 
go out, humans work our butts off to farm every day. That's not how we used to live. We were hunter-gatherers before this. Uh, so that was another interesting thing. Um, you know, also he talks about how we've, we've lost a lot of our history, too. Uh, you know, uh, we only have recorded history going back about four to 5,000 years. Uh, the cultures before then definitely had myths, stories, and everything that they had, but we, we've lost all that. We don't know what they believed, and part of that was they didn't write. Part of that was we don't know what they wrote if they did write. Uh, and, you know, another thing is humans are, in a way, destroyers, according to him. You know, within... Uh, he's talking about settling places later in the book, and he mentions that within 2,000 years of humans arriving in that area, most unique species were gone. And according to that short interval, uh, North America lost 34 out of 57 of its large mammals after humans arrived. So, you know, we conquer wherever we land. Uh, so in that as well, you know, talking about the imagined order, you know, how do we address this imagined order? You know, he mentions in the book that, you know, the first thing to believing in the imagined order is you never call it imagined, which I thought was a very interesting point, you know, around things. He also, you know, talks about human anxiety in the book and that in the way we live today, we thought we were making our lives easier, but we weren't, you know, when we were hunter gatherers. We worked maybe four hours a day to get food, and then it was leisure time. Well, now we're working 40-plus hours a week. And a quote that was really important there, I thought he said, uh, he said, we thought we were saving time. Instead, we revved up the treadmill of life to 10 times its former speed and made our days more anxious and more agitated. You know, there's less downtime to enjoy things. Uh, and I think that's, you know, important to... Address, you know, that how we live today is an anxious world. And he mentions that. Also in talking about this imagined order to the world, he, you know, kind of gives some rules that, you know, the imagined order has to be embedded in the material world in our products and believing that we need the latest and greatest phones and things like that. But the imagined order also shapes our desires. It sells us what we think we want, even though that might not be what we actually want. Uh, the order of the world has set that up for it. And then uh, it, it's one of the more interesting things he mentions in this is that it's intersubjective. So, you know, he says that objective it exists independently of human consciousness and belief. It's real. Gravity. Radioactivity. Um, subjective is something that exists depending on the consciousness and beliefs of a single individual. You know, you believe something and it's subjective. But intersubjective is something that exists 
with the community network, linking subjective consciousness of multiple individuals, that these things that join us together, our history, um, money, laws, gods, nations, they're intersubjective. They feed off a cultural gathering. You know, we all have to believe into it. Um, you know, it's, it's a really great book. I recommend going out there and getting it. You know, at the end, he kind of talks about the future of humanity and what's next for us if we're going to survive the next 100 years. He kind of brings this up in the uh, singularity, you know, that are we reaching a new point where we redefine what life means? You know, the Big Bang was the last time. What's next for humanity? And he's going to follow these up in future books that I plan on reading. I got a lot out of this book. You know, a different way to think, a different way to address things. It's, I think, a great philosophy book. Uh, And it's also a good history book. You know, I, I think understanding humanity is important. Understanding what's where we came from and what drives us is important and i think that sometimes we don't understand those items you know we think we do but it's the subjective reality that we've set forth uh and you know he does talk about meditation and buddhism in it as well you know and that understanding life is suffering and that suffering will always be there he talks about happiness and what happiness really is I just, I pulled a lot out of this book and some really good lessons that I think my listeners would enjoy. If you like listening to the podcast, I cover some of these items, you know, when we do the conspiracy philosophy corner and I've got more nonfiction coming this year. That's going to, you know, look to drive my view. Last year I was reading uh, some Philosophy books, I read uh, The Life of B, uh, Ishmael and My Ishmael, which also through fiction was dealing with the philosophy of humanity. I think it's something that I find extremely interesting, uh, the study of humanity. So I'm hoping to bring you more of these, just some brief overviews of the book, some key passages and thoughts that I find interesting and inspire you to go out and get the book yourself. Uh, You know, it's easy to find. uh, And even I read the regular book, but he just released it as a graphic novel style book. So if you want to get these concepts without reading this uh, about 400 page book here, you can pick up the graphic novel and kind of start exploring the the start of humanity and sapiens. Uh, Thanks, everyone. I'll be back.